Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast, a podcast where we wax lyrical about the mediocrity of our football team. Uh, as always, I am joined by my best friend Andre Grayson. Good afternoon or morning or whatever it is. <laughs> I didn't oversleep by that much. Um, good morning, Mr. Dow. <laughs> No, you didn't oversleep by that much, but you did oversleep. But we are live and ready to go. Um, oh, I, I, bits of me really want to do this podcast and I'm really looking forward to it. And, and other bits of me don't want to go over the train wreck of a performance that brought about the 3 0 defeat to Liverpool. So I'm a, I'm a bit in two minds about this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as always, there'll be some fun parts, namely the parts where we talk about all the other things we like talking about, and then we'll talk about what's actually going on right now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a roller coaster ride. It's, it's exhausting doing this podcast because one week we're we're bouncing off the walls, and in the next week <laughs> we have to talk about one of the worst performances of the season. So it's uh, it's going to be yeah. interesting. But before we do that, we need to return to our. Uh, normal commentary quiz, a quiz where we both select a piece of commentary and the other person has to try and guess which goal we are talking about. Um, so, Andre, I'll let you go first this week. All right, OK. It's a great break. It's a great goal. Just what the holders needed. A raid from the right back. Oh, it is Lauren at Stamford Bridge in the 3-1 win. A raid from the right back. What a goal. I love that goal. I love that game. It's just it's just a fantastic uh, example of us at that time. Um, and what I love, I, well, I'm waiting for you to go, yes, you are correct, because I know I'm correct. I, but <laughs> Yes, Tom, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I love that game. And all three of the goals we score are absolutely fantastic. Um, mm. uh, obviously, the, the first goal was the own goal by John Terry. Um, which magnificent, uh, magnificent own goal with uh, Vieira rifling the ball across the box and uh, a pretty expert run by Francis Jeffers that sort of opened the space up as well. Um, the second goal, another break uh, with Vieira at the heart of it, playing in uh, Sylvain Wiltord, a really nice finish. And then obviously when it got a bit jittery with us down to 10 men um, and John Terry had scored at the right end, um, Lauren then produced that moment of brilliance. So... Uh, yeah, a really, really fantastic moment, and uh, I remember it very, very well. Clearly, clearly, no, that was wonderful. Do you think you'd have got that without a raid from the right back? Because it was very generic. I felt that really, it was needed in that comms. You know, it's a great bake. It's a great goal. Just what the holders needed. I, I think is... I, I was, I was, I think I was nearly there with just what the holders needed. Um, <laughs> Because I've watched that commentary and that goal so many times. I think at that point, I was like, right, got it. And then when you said the raid from the right back, then I was like, right, I definitely got it this time. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. What, what a great, great goal. Great goal. I love it. Nothing immediately to the right of him. Eventually, Lauren recognises teammates' need. Still Lauren. It's a great break. It's a great goal! Just what the holders needed. A raid from the right back. <laughs> Good stuff. Right, over to you. I'm, I'm nervous now. Well, I, I've, I, we've got to the point where I'm struggling to remember which ones we've done and which ones we haven't done. Um, so really what I should have done is made a list as we were going along, but I'm not going to go back and listen to 30 odd episodes of this podcast <laughs> to figure out what we've done and what we haven't. So hopefully this is a fresh one. If not, it will just be regurgitating a, uh, a previously used one, but we'll see. We'll see. I think, I think you'll be fine with this one. Okay. So your commentary is not scored this season has now. Oh, that's um, that's also Viet. That's also at Stamford Bridge. It is, yeah, the error. Oh, and do you know that what you can't do in the commentary is you can't. Well, you can try and make the noise of that ball hitting the net because it's one of those. Ah. Oh, hasn't scored. Vieira hasn't scored yet this season. Has now, and it's like this clank of net bulging that is just delicious. I mean. That goal was all 
it's a wonderful finish, but it's as much about the through ball as it is the goal. Just absolutely stunning. Um, oh, much happier times. Um, you, you, we've teed this up beautifully. Two great wins at Stamford Bridge. Um, yeah. Again, Do you want to add anything on that goal? Well, again, it's almost like we've planned this and we really, really haven't. We, we don't con- uh, converse about our commentary quiz goals. So this is purely um, by luck and by chance that two, two victories at Stamford Bridge have been, uh, been chosen. And obviously Patrick Vieira being heavily involved in both of them. Um, but yeah, like you, like you said so brilliantly, it's the, it's the pass from Dennis Bergkamp, which is absolute perfection. Um, and then the finish and then the noise of it hitting the back of the net and then the follow-up noise of Robert Perez putting in a, a rebounded shot <laughs> which then makes the uh, the noise all over again so it's uh, it's it's fantastic um I, and then Martin Tyler follows that up with a captain's contribution because obviously Patrick mm. Vieira was at fault for the uh, for the opener that Chelsea Chelsea got in it inside the first minute but it was uh, re- really, I think at that point, we knew where, where that team was going. We knew we were probably going to go on and win the title that year. Um, and it was just a massive, massive three points and a massive statement from, from Arsenal to go to Stamford Bridge with Chelsea being the, uh, the up-and-coming side with all their investment and really believing that they, they could overturn Arsenal-Manchester United. It was just a real statement of intent for us to go there and turn around a deficit of one goal inside the first 20 minutes. So, yeah, another another wonderful memory. And uh, I just, I, I really hope we can get back to something, something close to those sort of days um, in, the, in the not too distant future. But seems a long way off. <laughs> Here's a matter just of achieving this lead, of sustaining it. Burkamp, Vieira, not scored this season, has now. 1-1, a captain's contribution. Sign of a great player. They've absolutely carved them open, Chelsea. And such is the quality of Burkamp's ball, that Vieira can concentrate on finishing it. And finishing it, he does. Yeah, I mean, and of course, who... um player who scored the second goal for us in that game um it's amazing to think he's more influential in the club than anyone else on that pitch that day yeah I don't think many of us would have called that back then um because obviously Eddie was very much a as much as he was an integral part of the Invincibles and and of those squads around that time he was he was a fringe player he wasn't someone who was an automatic starter and I don't think many of us would have thought all these years later that he'd be so actively involved in the club. Um, but he is, and he is responsible alongside Mikel Arteta for this this massive job that that is required, um, which obviously leads us very nicely onto, <laughs> onto talking about the, the weekend, which of course was the 3-0 defeat to Liverpool. I've written down some things, but I feel like this is just going to go all over the place for um, <laughs> for, for this conversation. What did you make of? Like, normally, we start out by talking about the, the the team selection, but I think obviously with so many injuries, the, the the team almost picked itself. But there's a few things that kind of raised a few question marks, which we spoke about during the game. But what did you make of the overall tactics that Mikel Arteta used in that game? Uh, what are the what are these tactics you speak of? <laughs> Um, I know I'm I'm tongue in cheek there, but uh, it was all over the place. One of the things, as you know, we've been so full of praise of Arteta about is his game game plans, and defensively, I think we've been really pleased with the progressions, uh, amongst other things that have been good. But there's been a lot that's really frustrated us. We are languishing in tenth after all. But the way we try to approach that game, because what I don't know is when did Arteta know that those particular players were out? Because if he thought he could play out from the back without Louise, without Xhaka, without Smith-Rowe, without Bellerin as well, it's a, you know, I'll come on to that. There's so many decisions 
that if he was going to play, the thing that got me right was we we went to play long from goal kicks, but we set up to play short. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. Um, and it was bizarre. Um, I, I think that kind of transfers into decisions throughout the game where it, we tried to do certain things, but we didn't approach the game in, in a way that was even remotely appropriate for that. Like, um, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, playing Lacazette to target, obviously, Nat Phillips and um, what's the other name of the centre-back? Um, oh, uh, Kabak. Kabak. So Nat Phillips and Kabak. And we didn't set up in a way to get at them. And it seemed bizarre that you wouldn't maybe try Aubameyang down the middle at any point of that contest. Um, and the way we approached it was it was just bizarre. All of it was bizarre. Like we just having a Pepe and Aubameyang on the wings didn't work at all. We didn't try and change things up at all from that regard. Um, but yeah, like you said, we did. We set up. We were playing long, but we did set up that short options, which doesn't really work. Um, the the whole the whole game plan just confused me. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it didn't really correlate with the players that were on the pitch with what we tried to do. You know, if we went long and tried to pick up second balls, that's okay. You know, sure, possession's terrible, but we half tried to play out from the back. Um, but I think what what was amazing to me, and it is amazing, is if you were to pick two players in the Arsenal squad, especially now Mustafi has left. Knowing that, uh, you know, Louise and Xhaka are our most error-prone players. I think that's, that's I'm not being controversial in saying that. I think everyone would near enough agree. Yeah. But they are two of our most important players now. And one's 34 and has just had knee surgery. And the other is pretty widely accepted until we upgrade. We are stuck where we're stuck. However, their importance to the team... Um, that's what shocked me, if I'm totally honest, yesterday. Sorry, on Saturday. That is what absolutely shocked me, is my goodness, without Xhaka there, without Louise there, we don't have the team that can play this way. And I know what you're saying about the front three, and I agree, I think the construct of that was wrong, but we couldn't play out, and those two are critical to that. And we would have thought party there was fine, holdings being fine, but my goodness, we weren't, were we? That was... That was what alarmed me anyway. Yeah, it was it was bad. It was really, really, really bad. And I texted you sort of halfway through the game and just said, Jesus, we miss Granite Xhaka in the middle. Um, and obviously there, there is an argument for, for David Luiz as well. And I just think taking the four players out that were missing in Granite Xhaka, David Luiz, Bakaya Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, it made it very, very difficult for us from the, from the off. But... That aside, we just didn't do the basics. We didn't do the things that you need to do in a game. And I know Arteta spoke about that after the game and he was quite clearly very, very angry about that performance. Um, But the absolute minimum that we needed to do, we didn't do. When it came to pressing, we sort of did like a half half press, half non-press. So we had a couple of players pressing Liverpool's back line, which then just created space in behind them. and Liverpool are too good a team, regardless of their league position. They're too good a team to have your tactics sort of half assed like that. You really need to be on top of it. And at no point of that game did you think we were in the game. When it was nil-nil, you didn't feel like we were in the game. It never looked like we were going to create anything. Um, the best chance we had was probably probably Cedric's shot in, um, in, in the second half. Um and that that's that's just such a, a sad indictment of the situation that we saw ourselves in. Um, and I tw- I tweeted about it and said that it's it's comparing us to Liverpool is not the metric that we need to be using, but it is alarming how far we are off and how insipid a performance we put in against against a Liverpool side that aren't in in the sort of free free roaming. Uh, attacking flair that they have been all um, in previous seasons. They've had a real tough time this season at times, and we didn't do anything to ask some questions. And I'm going to revert back to talking about their centre back pairing. Is that I think Gary Neville said that him and Martin Tyler could be playing centre half in that game, and it's absolutely true. You could have put anyone there, and it wouldn't have made a difference because we didn't attack that area. And for for, for an outsider like me, I. 
I looked at their team and thought the one place we could potentially get at them is their centre-backs. And we didn't do anything to try and get at them, <laughs> which I found um, really, really bizarre. Um, having said that, I do think, um, I, I thought the best player on the pitch was probably Fabinho. Um, and he he sort of marshaled that area brilliantly and sort of protected them fantastically, um, which raises questions about why uh, Klopp didn't want to use him there previously in the season. But obviously, this is an Arsenal podcast and mm. not a Liverpool podcast. <laughs> um, but no, I was actually just going to say the same thing. It's uh, it's mad that he hasn't done that because my goodness, that was a dominating midfield display the likes of which I haven't seen I think, for a long while think, it was all over I think us. the big thing with with that decision is that Klopp all year has just played all these different centre-back pairings and he's kept changing kept changing and I think if he'd gone all season and said right I'm going to use these two um, as my two options but I'm going to keep my midfield as as standard as, as possible I think they would have fared a lot better this season um, so, like you said, it, it is baffling that he's not. I, I, I think Fabinho is too influential to that team not to have him in the middle of the park. But uh, that's a, that's another issue. Um, so we've kind of covered the <laughs> shambolic tactics, and we've covered the uh, the missing four from that. Um, it was a really bad day at the office, but it was made worse by the injury to Kieran Tierney midway through the first half. Um, have you heard anything about? what what no. that could be no all i saw was a video of his knee not looking very stable i don't know if you saw this as he walked off i did like... i said to laura when he was walking off that he looked it, that looked quite quite negative to me because it, it was it, it, yeah. there was no stability in it whatsoever um, no and as someone who's uh, been there and done it um yeah he looked worried and you can walk even if you've done your your acl or any ligament damage yeah. you can walk off fine um, the fact he didn't go down screaming suggests it's very unlikely it's an ACL. The the, the question is whether he's strained the ligaments or, or torn them, and also the nature of the strain. But it could be his season over. Uh, I think that's that's clear. And, and, and as I said to you at the time, and I said this before the game, I even said it midweek, I went, the one player I would not start is Kieran Tierney. Because he's played 90 minutes against the Faroe Islands on Wednesday, 90 minutes against Israel. I don't know who else uh, Scotland had, actually. But he's had some tough games. And the system he's asked to play in at Scotland is a he's an overlapping centre-back, right? Yeah. It, so they play a they play a, a wing-backs, and Robertson is a wing-back, but Tierney is really their chief creator, and everything goes through him and Robertson, as you would if you were Scotland, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just feel as though, you know, you can talk about squad management, the fact Kolasinac isn't there, it's a separate thing altogether. I mean, I, I, I doubt I'd have wanted Kolasinac to play. Uh, but, but you know, needs must. But the fact we've got no one from the academy. But I just think that's inexperience from Arteta because he must have known. And, and, you know, in many ways, he gets more of a free pass when we are... Um, uh, that uh, uh, we've got that many injuries. God, that took me a long time to say. Uh, when we've got <laughs> when we've got that many injuries to say, "Oh, Kieran's not as fresh as we should be." There you go. Have another excuse. You know, like don't be afraid. Say, like, okay, I, I need Kieran Tierney fit. Kieran Tierney is not getting any minutes. If we are absolutely struggling, or if in half at half hour to go, we're still in the game, and you think, do you know what, Kieran Tierney might just do the job. Fantastic. But now, you know, I'd be looking at, is Bakayo Saka going to play there? Uh, you know, is it worth getting Bellerin in there? I don't know. Um, but I was very frustrated at that, and, and who knows. But something I wanted to ask you, actually, just talking to fullbacks, was, do you think Arteta picked a team because of what they had done against West Ham? Because, like, Callum Chambers, this was not a game for Callum Chambers. No. This was... You know, especially when you've got Rob Holding there, you need a bit of speed. And I know we, we've got on about Hector losing a bit, but he's a lot quicker than Callum Chambers. And to deal with Mane and Salah, you know, Bellerin's done that. For all the critique of Bellerin, he's a very good player at getting out from the back. Um, I was really surprised he isn't playing. Really surprised. And I was even more surprised Chambers played. 
And for me, all of those things together, I'm sort of baffled at, at, at some of those decisions. But what do you make of the fact Hector is, hasn't played in a game like this? I, I assumed he would. I don't know. Yeah, I assumed he would as well. When I was talking to you before the game about predicted lineups and things like that, um, Bellerin was in my predicted lineup. I thought he would certainly start. Um, and I, I, I sort of suggested to you that if Chambers did play, I thought he might play at centre back um, instead of Rob Holding. But obviously, he did play, which was... I don't know if that's going on the uh, the idea of meritocracy that we've spoken about before with Arteta, that, that Callum Chambers was so good at West Ham that he, that he deserved to keep his place. But I think football's at a point now where you, you've got to adapt to the situation and, and the teams that you're playing against. And absolutely, Bellerin or Cedric would have been a better option at right back instead of... Um, Callum Chambers for a game like that because we saw what happened. Mane caused absolute chaos between Rob Holding and Callum Chambers throughout the whole game. Um, you could tell from the first few minutes that Mane was really on top of his game and we just didn't have a response for that. We didn't know how to deal with that. Um, and I think we would have been far better suited to deal with that had we had a more orthodox right back. Uh, you obviously, when I spoke to you before the game uh, about that, you suggested about the deep block, which, to be fair, looked like that's that was what the tactic was at times to have that deep block and allow Liverpool to come onto us, and then you're sort of relying on that counter-attacking ability um, if you're going to do that. But mm-hmm. again, but again, it's this mix-up of tactics that we spoke about at the start, where we set up in a way that suggested that's how we were going to play. And then we only had we only had half the element to it, if that makes sense. Um, so we only had the deep block without having any of the attacking prowess that you need on the counter attack. So it's it's a real bizarre one, it really is. So in answer to your question, a very long winded answer. Uh, yes, I was shocked that Bellerin didn't play. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and from from one Spaniard to another, um, what's happened to Danny Ceballos? Jeez, I mean, I again, I said to you that he's like he's playing with boots that are three sizes too big for him, um, and he's just got no pace, no awareness of what's going on around him. Everything feels like it, it's laboured. Um, I don't know what's going on with him, um, and I don't, I don't think there's there's any doubt that that there doesn't need to be a conversation in the summer about whether we keep him because he's not produced anything consistently this season um, like he did towards the end of last season that suggests that he's a player that will be useful for us um, so I'd be I'd be amazed if we went back to Real Madrid and said we'd like to take him permanently yeah yeah you'd think um, you'd think we might have to take him take him off their hands to get a chance to get an Odegaard and do them a favour or something I'd take a two, um, for, two for one I'd be alright with that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's so frustrating because the player in Project Restart, what I don't really understand is where that player has gone because he has completely gone, hasn't he? Like, he, I, I, he can't keep... One of his great things was keeping the ball under pressure, but he, he couldn't do that. I also think he's been quite good at tackling and intercepting. He lost every tackle in that first half and uh, he was very lucky not to be hooked at half-time. Uh, mm. But but next to him, Thomas Party. Are you worried about him at all? Just I haven't seen. You know, was that man you away game the outlier? Have we seen enough to go? Yes, this man can do it. Or does does he also need Jacka? I, I I think he he looks like he's very much dependent on having a partner next to him, um, who he can trust. Uh, and I think we are. We're really struggling to sort of have that consistency with a pairing that works together because we've seen so often that the only one that does work is Xhaka and Party. That's the only one that we've seen consistently work. Um, Sabios with anyone doesn't seem to work anymore. Uh, El Nene is so limited in what he offers that it's it's very very difficult to um, envisage him being a long term solution there. Um, I, 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 there's a big, big job centre midfield in the summer. Big, big job. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know how many you need to bring in because realistically, if you if you're sending Sabios back, that leaves you with Xhaka, El Nene, and Party. Um, 
I don't think anyone wants to see Mohamed El Nene as a as a regular feature of that side. Um, fair enough, having him as a squad player who comes on for ten minutes here and there to see a game out. I completely understand that role within a squad, but we we probably need two, a minimum of two centre midfielders in, and probably three if we're being absolutely honest with the situation. Um, so yeah, it's. It's it's so tough. It's so tough looking at this and trying to see the bigger picture because, as we've established when we've spoken about games in the past, we are so influenced by the last game and what's been happening. And sometimes it's really easy to get carried away, and other times it's really easy to sort of get sucked in into the negativity. And I think. I'm sort of teetering on the edge of that today in terms of whether I'm going to go full on. I'm just so depressed about the whole situation and I can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but but still trying to maintain that sort of level-headedness that sort of is the voice of reason. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's very difficult to see where Arsenal are heading at the moment because it does feel like we are the epitome of one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's maybe, we are maybe overplaying it, because Liverpool, I think I've said this for a long time, you know, if I, if I, when I look at the rest of this season, Liverpool are so, so, so much better than everyone else in the league, apart from City, and they've just had one of those seasons where they've burnt out a bit, you know, see our unbeaten season, uh, sorry, our unbeaten record ending that season, we were still the best team in the league, but we just couldn't, we couldn't get there. You know, not much had changed in that season, but mentally we were done. And if you look at Liverpool and what they're doing in the Champions League, and, you know, they'll they'll probably, you know, with eight games to go, I think they'll comfortably secure top four. Um, Or at least I hope they do. It'd be funny if they got it in none of the London clubs did. Although I'm kind of rooting for West Ham in there. I'd be be fine with West Ham. (laughs) I'd I'd actually love West Ham to get it. It'd be great. Um, but, but, But the thing is, is that... What I think is so interesting about what you were saying is if we don't get European football next season, the need for a Mohamed Elneny lessens again Um, because we don't have that volume of fixtures. And yeah, hopefully we go on some cup runs, but you don't get that kind of fixture um, congestion. And that might just be the best thing for us to realign our goals, you know, and go again because... It is very clear to me, as I'm, I'm sure it is to every Arsenal fan, just the importance of Emil Smith-Rowe and Bakayo Saka. So the statistic is that Arsenal have not won a game without either of them in the squad, sorry, in the side, since the first game of the season. And for Arsenal to be reliant on two t- teenagers, I don't know, I think Smith-Rowe might be 20, but two very young prospects, it's incredible. We've got a front line worth £170 million. Yet there's two players who cost us absolutely nothing who are more important than those three combined. Uh, and that's, the, that's for me, is it's not even alarming. It's almost good to know. Because yeah. if Lacazette goes, if we sell Pepe, even if Aubameyang goes, we'll be all right if we keep those two. You know, one of the things about Aubameyang left, Aubameyang on the left, and looking at his performance and the way he played, I do not understand how we've had him down the middle playing so well and then put him on the left twice. Broken his confidence. Are we still punishing him for Tottenham? I don't know. I don't know. But all of it is very, very strange to me. And I'm just hoping that, you know what? He's going to get everyone back on board. We've got to win Thursday um, and go again. Um, But one of the things, talking of team for Thursday, but just, just touching on the Liverpool game again um I'm a bit worried about Bernd Leno um and his form I feel like it's dipped off and I do feel like how can I put this um he's made some great saves been great this season but he's starting to tail off and I really feel as though that header I know it's point blank but a good you want your goalie saving that at our level. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what we think, how, perceive our level to be, that should be saved. Uh, you know, Liverpool go on and win the game. I'm not yeah, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying I, I think that's got to be saved. And I think he doesn't do that well on the second goal either. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think a, a top goalkeeper, which is what we we would like to consider Burton Leno being, um, I think he saves that first one. And, and as you say, I, think, I, I agree. I think he does better, should do better on the second one as well. Um, it's just... I don't know. I think <laughs> I think Bert Leno is probably the least of our problems at the moment. <laughs> um, but I, I know what you're saying. I think I think he's been fairly inconsistent since the since the Wolves game. Um, he's had mm. so, he's had some moments where he's been outstanding, and he's had a few blips where he's made a few errors. And I think it's just been maybe that maybe that knocks his confidence a bit. And I and I think. Amongst the fan base, I don't know how much players actually see what what fans discuss and things, but obviously it's been the constant conversation about should we let Emmy Martinez go or should we let Bert Leno go, um, which I'm sure that's not a factor. But from a from a, a supporter standpoint, um, I find that infuriating, and I'm sure even if it's just like once or twice you read that sort of stuff as as a player, I'm sure it must be frustrating because. He's, he's confident in his own ability, which I, I throw back to that interview that he did when he said, I was number one, I am number one, I will be number one. Um, mm. And I think that's a conversation that I just wish would go away. But I think hopefully he can sort of build his form back up again. Um, but like I say, I think he's probably the least of our concerns right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and I touched on it gently in there, but what would you do Thursday? What's your team? So much of it depends on who's available, because I know Arteta said after the Liverpool game he didn't know if those four would be available. We know that David Luiz isn't going to be there because he's obviously um, had knee surgery. Um, Granite Xhaka, from what we understand, was out with, with some sort of virus, so that I think there's probably a fair chance he comes back in. Uh, and then... We've got to do everything we can to get Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe back in the side because the energy is just totally lost when they're not there. Um, and I'd also, oh, I'd also, I don't think he will, but I'd be inclined to try something a little bit different by maybe getting Martinelli in on the left um, and yep. then Aubameyang back in central. I think that's what I'd like to see. Uh, whether he does it or not is another matter entirely. But uh, you're probably looking at a team which will be, I suppose, Bellerin has to be on the right because of Cedric, presumably being on the left. Um, although I guess there's probably a case, uh, an argument or a conversation to be had about whether long-term, if Tierney is out, is that maybe somewhere you have to think about Bukayo Saka? I really hope not because you don't want to lose his attacking threat. But that's maybe a conversation that needs to be had. But I think it'll be Cedric at left back. And then your centre-halves will presumably be Gabriel and holding again. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that kind of... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I think it'll be Jacques and Partey in the middle. uh, Odegaard. And then it depends on Smith-Rowe. If Smith-Rowe's available, I think he'll probably be left with a Bamiyang central and Saka right if he's available. Uh, If he's not available, that's where I'd maybe like to see Martinelli come in. Um, But yeah, I think that's probably what we'll see, if I'm honest. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree with all of it. I agree with all of it. I um, wouldn't surprise me if um, he actually does something a bit rogue and Hector might go on the left. Yeah. Um, I remember remember him doing that. Uh, I remember him playing there at the start of a season when we were playing five at the back under Wenger. He was all right down there. Yeah, I think uh, it, it might be worth a go. That's all I'm saying is it might be worth a go. Um, but yeah, I agree with your selections. I mean, we're presuming Jack is ready, but you know, maybe if it's holding, I'd maybe think about Pablo Marie. Although I, you know, because I don't know, Gabriel, he's just got those moments in him. He's at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we were we were speaking about how well we thought he was playing up until um, <laughs> up until the goals started flying in. Um, and, mm. and obviously, the second and third goal, he has to take largely the responsibility for them. And up to that point, I thought defensively he was he was our best player. Um, but his passing out from the back was really really inconsistent. I've seen some stats. I think it was something like sixty two percent or something was yeah, his yeah. pass completion rate, which is obviously really really low for for a centre half. Um, so it is it was concerning, and I think. What we're seeing with Gabriel is that he's he's got that in um, that lack of 
momentum and the, that lack of consistency that comes with young central defenders. And I think that's just something which he's going to have to iron out of his game um, as, as we sort of go along. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if Pablo Murray did come in, uh, just to have that bit of experience in there. But uh, yeah, I think those two are fairly interchangeable for, for Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it all, it all rests on that really, doesn't it, Tom? That's what it's all about now. Well, yeah, it's, it's all on that. Uh, if we, if it's it's Europa League or nothing, because it's very difficult to see us get European football in any capacity through the league unless we have an unbelievable um, finish to the season. I know that it's not that distant in, uh, ahead of us, but you just don't see the consistency with us. Um, I know we've got some favourable mm. fixtures, but we've also got to go to Stamford Bridge. Um, so there's and and also the teams we're playing down at the bottom of the table are going to be fighting for points. So they're by no means going to be um, gimmies uh, in terms of victory. So we'll see, we'll see. What I did want to ask you about though was uh, there was some news over the weekend about uh, our favourite German, Skogdan Mustafi, and I was wondering if you had a shower update for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll leave the Mustafi bit to you because I think you're hotter on that than I am. But um, yeah, sad news. It's ebbing away. It's ebbing away. So last time I think I remember speaking, Christian Gross was their manager. Yeah. Uh, he is no longer their manager. Uh, so that, that the players won there. Um, Kolasinac continues to play in central midfield. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and they wonder why they're going down. <laughs> So they uh, they lost to, to Bayer Leverkusen at the weekend. They lost 2-1, um, which is a pretty good result for them, all things considered. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I believe they're a couple of games away from it all being over, um, which is uh, you know a great shame for them. Um, but I think the Schalke party is coming to an end. And I don't think Sayed Kolasinac will be there next season, which is the concern. That is the concern. Someone who will be there next season, all being well and good, is Shkodran Mustafi. Um, but what, uh, well, I mean, I know the news, but why don't you tell our listeners? So he was left out of the squad entirely on the weekend uh, for sporting reasons, <laughs> which obviously we... Uh... <laughs> That that sort of transfers to something's going on behind the scenes. So whether it, whether it is um, something that he's done or said, or whether they've just realised that he's not very good at football, um, that's why he was left out entirely. Which obviously for a January signing coming from Arsenal, you you think that he would be a shoe in to be playing every week. Um, they have discovered what it took us about five years to discover. Um, they've discovered it in less than three months. So <laughs> it's not great. It's not great um, for for Mustafi. So it looks yeah. like he's and, going and, uh, down. But... Just so you know, it looks like he's going down, but also uh, the articles coming out are saying it's unlikely he'll play, play for them ever again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you almost feel sorry for him. What's going on? Uh, I mean, something's got to have been said. If he can't get into a team that is doing so poorly in the Bundesliga, um, he must have done something or said something or been involved in some sort of fracas um, for that to be happening. So um, I didn't know that last piece of information. All I knew that he was out for sporting reasons. Um, but it, that's sensational. Jeez. Poor old Mustafi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cruel. Am I cruel. am I right in thinking that Kalasanac has a year left on his contract when he comes back? Uh, that sounds about right. Because I've seen various things. Some people have said that he's out of contract, but I'm fairly sure he's one that still has a year left, which is uh, disappointing. But that's another thing we're going to have to deal with in the summer, which uh, that list is just ever-growing. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, they've got such a job on. They've got such a job on. But uh, in lighter news, at least we've got a central midfielder, you know, who can score goals in the shape of of Joe Willock. And um, if he can score them like that against Tottenham, then um, maybe we'll give him a bit more of a go than we thought when he comes back. Yeah, I think I I think he's one that might well come back because 
because it just limits the amount of other business that we need to do. Like he's someone who can come off the bench and, and try to offer a bit of energy when we need it. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he was involved um, from from uh, the new season onwards. But uh, yeah, it was lovely to see him grab uh, a late equaliser against Tottenham. And uh, I did enjoy his interview where he said that it, it means a little bit more because he's an Arsenal player. So uh, someone who does get the rivalry and understands um, that from a, fan, a, a fan's point of view, I think is, uh, is really, really good. Mm. Okay, so uh, I think that brings us on to the last segment of the podcast where we talk about goals from years gone by. Um, this week, we decided we're going to talk about some positive memories against Liverpool at home um, as opposed to <laughs> Saturday. So we've selected uh, two goals each from previous victories over Liverpool. Uh, Andre, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, to my knowledge, have we only gone with Emirates era goals? Uh, no, I've selected one from Highbury. Okay, okay, fine. Um, it's interesting, both of mine are Emirates era, where I'd argue we didn't score goals against Liverpool that had quite the same impact or nostalgia around them. Um, but this one for me is an interesting one. So, 2015... Uh, it's uh, Meza Ozil free kick past Simon Mignolet in a corner that Simon Mignolet should not get beaten in. Um, but it was more around. Uh, we were so I was having a little look. I, ha- I had to look this up because I remember being very excited at the end of that game, and I can't remember why. But I've looked up the league table, and I can see it now because it put us into second place above Man U and Man City as we hounded down Chelsea but also gave us a nine-point gap between Liverpool. And it was such an important game, but we did one of those things that we did. We used to do this once a season with Ozil and Sanchez. We'd score three goals in the first half and look like the greatest football team that had ever graced the planet. And we did that against Liverpool. So Bellerin puts us 1-0 up. And then we win this Ozil free kick. And I don't think he'd scored a free kick for us before, but it just lined up and he bends it uh, Perfectly. I mean, it's going miles wide and it just comes in at the last minute. And you sort of, from where I am in the ground, you can't, I couldn't believe it went in. Um, but it was just that excitement because I always love those Ozil goals. Um, and this was the second one, three minutes after Hector. And it was just, uh, it was absolutely electric in the ground that day. I just remember it so well and celebrating it so vociferously. And then uh, a few minutes later, Sanchez belted one in and we were well on our way. It was just one of those great games. But uh, that was my that was my pick of goals from that one. Yeah, I remember that game um, because that was in a period where I was working within the football industry. So I was working for a betting company as a football analyst. So obviously I didn't get to go to that many games during that period because I was always in the office watching Polish football. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I remember watching that game whilst I was watching a Polish game. Um, because obviously I was the uh, model professional Um, and I was in the office and I was (laughs) celebrating uh, wildly um, but because everyone else was obviously watching games I was trying to celebrate without making a noise so I was just sort of punching the air repeatedly (laughs) every time a goal went in and everyone just looked at me it was just like Arsenal school again have they Tom? it's like yeah shouldn't you be watching Polish football? yes I should but uh, (laughs) don't worry about it <laughs> but uh, that is my memory of that uh, of that game, and it was um, tremendous because there was quite a lot of Liverpool fans that worked in my office as well. So uh, I enjoyed that. But uh, yeah, really, really good memory. And I, I I miss the days where we used to just rip a team apart once a season, and it was mm. usually a big team that we ripped apart once a season as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to rewind us back to the good old Highbury days, and. I initially, when I text you my selections, Andre, I initially had chosen um, Thierry Henry against Liverpool in the 5 6 season where Cesc Fabregas played an inch-perfect pass for him, touch out of his feet, and then he bent it into the far corner uh, at the clock end. But I've changed that because I've got a better story associated with, with another hybrid goal. So the previous season... Um, when we played Liverpool um, towards the end of the season, we beat them 3-1 at Highbury. Um, and Robert Pires scored a free kick. Um, Cesc Fabregas got a got a late one. But the one that I'm going to talk about is uh, Jose Antonio Reyes scoring 
um, a goal which he should never, ever have scored because he picks the ball up on the edge of the box, basically just runs past three Liverpool players without too much fuss and then puts it in at a really acute angle. And it's a goal which shouldn't have shouldn't have happened from a Liverpool standpoint in a million years. But it was really, really uh, an impressive individual goal from him. But I think Andy Gray on the commentary said that it's, in the professional game, that, that shouldn't be happening. But the reason why I've chosen that is that was probably the first season where I went to most home games. Previously, I'd probably probably done between sort of like eight and ten games a season. Whereas this game I went to, this year I went to pretty much every home game. And I remember as a, as a silver member, I had to get up at the right time and make sure I was buying tickets at the right time to, to get the to get the tickets for the games. And I'd missed the deadline for silver members to get tickets for that game. And I was absolutely gutted. And I remember my dad and his friend Eric, who has since passed away, um, sat in the East Stand Upper with their season tickets. And they knew a man called Etienne, who was a... Uh, Saint? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was a man who was um, a season ticket holder as well, but also he was a, a really enthusiastic tennis fan. So Eric's wife, Pat, used to get tickets for Wimbledon through Etienne. But Etienne also had a friendship with David Dean. So Eric approached Etienne and said to him, is there, is there any way that you can sort of ask about tickets for the Liverpool game? And by some miracle, I then got a ticket for the Liverpool game sat in the East Upper, which was through some connection to David Dean. <laughs> so it's a really, really bizarre story, but it's a game that I was able to get to, which I was really, really grateful for. Um, but it was because of a connection with David Dean that I was able to get those tickets. So uh, a really, a really bizarre story, but a, a memorable one. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Did, do you know the story yet? Like, no, I, I don't. All I know, all I remember, like it, it's one of these things that when we were just starting this podcast today, that memory just dropped into my head. So I thought, okay, I'll talk about it on the podcast. Um, but I don't know the details. I'm going to ask my dad because I think he'll probably have a bit more uh, information. So maybe next week I'll be back with a uh, an update on how that whole situation transpired. But whether it was uh, a direct link to David Dean or, or whether it was Etienne knew someone else through David Dean, um, but there was a, there was certainly a connection there somewhere. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. That is quite amazing. Uh, I can't dig out the goal on YouTube. I have no. I I don't have a recollection of this. I'll have to. I'll have to look it up. I'll, have to look I'll it try. Up. I'll try and find it. But uh, yeah, it was a like like I said in the sort of build up to that. It was a goal that never ever should have happened. Um, <laughs> probably your best bet of finding it is probably looking at um, a compilation of Reyes's goals um, because I think okay. there's one because he only scored about twenty three goals I think for Arsenal. Um, very specific. So yeah, might be worth looking that up. <laughs> you you are right. I've got a video here, all twenty three of Antonio Reyes's goals. Lovely stuff. Okay, <laughs> good stuff. Go on, um, go on then, your number two. Good. Yeah, well, well, I mean, you're going to have to chime in here as well because you you mentioned this goal <laughs> in a negative way. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine is. Uh, what I can only describe as a wonder strike <laughs> and one of those magnificent Arsenal goals in the recent era from Aaron Ramsey. Um, so I, I actually have a bit more of a story about this game as as ever. Uh, and the reason this goal means more to me, uh, when you said it, I was like, oh, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's the aesthetics that it doesn't quite dip into the top corner. The fact he has to take the touch to steady himself. The fact Colo Torre turns his back. Um, but this was Ramsey in the, at the peak of his powers. And also Meza Ozil as well. And those two were creating a partnership that was quite dazzling. And I hadn't really seen a partnership like that. You know, number 10 and a number 8 midfielder. Um, so it's against Liverpool. We'd gone 1-0 up with... Uh, I mean, we have to talk about the Santi Cazorla goal because it was just wonderful. Uh, smacks it off the post with his right foot um, or left foot. I can't remember. And then he follows it up and just sweeps it in. Uh, no, he, it's a header. Is it a header? Yeah, the I'm losing my mind the, here. The original 
shot was a header on. He the goes post. for a header, yeah. which which is for most players would have been a volley at quite a nice height, but for Cazorla was a header. Uh, and he, he sort of, it's like he's stooping and that gives him the momentum to go exactly where the rebound goes and he sweeps home. It's lovely stuff. Um, and then we're 1-0 up and we're playing really well, controlling the game. The ball gets worked down the right-hand side. Nurzel's there. He clips a lovely pass over a couple of legs to Ramsey, who takes a touch, steadies himself and rifles it home from 25 yards. We didn't score many from outside the box and, and uh, Ramsey had some spectacular goals, but this was right up there. It was a special, special goal. Um, but it, it sort of icing on the cake in a performance. And this was a season where we really were starting to believe and performances like that were why. Um, and it felt like a really big goal from a big player. Um, one of the reasons I picked it, though, is because uh, my, my late grandparents lived in, lived in Islington and uh, I went there on the morning of the game. So I think it was a 5.30 kickoff. And I went there for lunch. And I hadn't ever done this before. Um, and uh, I remember sitting with them in the flat, just talking, because my parents living in Spain, it was just one of those things. I don't know why I went there. I can't remember. I just said I would. And I didn't really go there as often as I should before they passed away. And I remember I got a bus from there, outside their flat to the ground, Highbury Islington, and I got a Thierry Henry pie from Pybury Corner. And then we had that performance. Um, and it was just one of the most special days I've had where it sort of connected so many facets of life. Family, Arsenal, and a great pie. You know, when life comes down to it, those three fundamentals are always going to be there. <laughs> um, but I just remember going home that evening and just being like, what an amazing, what an amazing day I've had. Um, and it felt in part due to that, you know, wonder strike from Aaron Ramsey. But, but go on, you, you tell me why it's not a good goal. <laughs> <laughs> right, in, in preparation for you asking me that question, I've got the text uh, up that I sent you on Saturday morning. <laughs> so on Saturday morning, out of absolutely nowhere, no, no preface to this at all, I just said, question for you, what is an Arsenal goal that is always hyped up and played at every occasion that you are a bit meh about? And I said... The example I'm giving is Ramsey against Liverpool. Like, it's a great goal, don't get me wrong, but the aesthetic of it is somewhat lost on me because of the way he has to wait for it to drop down and volley. Um, <laughs> and I said, I don't know why this goal does that to me because when you break it down, everything about it is sensational. <laughs> so it's a really bizarre one. I don't know why it's a feeling I get because it is, it's something which I know is a special goal. I know it's special. I know the moment is special. I know the link up between Ozil and Ramsey is special. But it's something about it that I just don't like. And I don't know what it is, really. I can't really put my finger on it. And I think it is mm. the way that he takes his touch and then it has to sort of drop down for him. And I think it is that. Um, that split second that kind of changes my outlook on that goal, which is foolish. Um but it is one of those ones that I, I know, I know it's a great goal. I do know this. Um, yeah. But it, it's just a feeling I get. And I, whenever it pops up, I'm just like, oh, I'm watching this again, am I? Okay. It's not like, a, it's not a goal that I feel like I can watch 99 times in a row and still enjoy it just as much. But it, that, that's probably the best way of describing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing, the thing that um, just, the thing that gets me is when a player like has an open goal and it's on their weaker foot, but they still use the outside of their foot, you know, their stronger foot. That one I hate, right? Yeah. There's an open goal, and they literally can't miss. I'm not talking about it's a difficult finish. That one gets me big time. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Giroud was a proponent of that, but uh, <laughs> there we go. Anyway, Tom, tell us, about your, uh, tell us about your last one. Okay, so my last one was... Uh... I, I'm not really sure why this one jumped straight into my head when I was thinking about goals against Liverpool, but it's uh, it was a really, really important game um, in the FA Cup against Liverpool. And I'm going to go for the second goal in that game because it was um, Lucas Podolski scored it to put us 2-0 up. Um, and it was electrifying football. I think it was a pass from Mesut Ozil into the path of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who shows pace that we knew he was quick, but at that point it was like, Jeez, I didn't know he was that quick. 
and then he cuts the ball back expertly for Podolski, and it's a, a really just brutal side-footed, right-footed finish um, in into the goal, and it's. It's just the what I like about it is all the components just all match up at the same time. The pass from Ozil is brilliant. Um, the cutback from Oxley Chamberlain, the pace that he shows is brilliant, and the finish is, is is brilliant. But I think it's because it was a cup tie, which going into it, I felt like, and I'm sure I wasn't alone in this, that we were we were massive underdogs. I think Liverpool were really confident yeah. going into that game, and we started with Yaya Sonogo up top. And I really didn't see um, how we were going to win that game. Um, and obviously, we did make it nervy because I think Liverpool got a goal back sort of later on in the game and we ended up winning 2-1. Um, that is right, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a very stressful game. Yeah, very stressful game. But it's it's those games that I, I, I like after the fact because we were underdogs we then produced a really really good and dominant display um had a nervy moments but it's just those games where you you finish the game knowing that you've won a game that maybe you didn't feel like you were going to and it's that surprise element after after the fact that I really enjoy um and unfortunately that's that's something which I've happened it is it, something that I go into games more often more often now thinking that we're not going to win and then, obviously, if we do win, it's a, it's a very pleasant surprise. But that was certainly one of them against a big team in a really important cup run. And that gave us the momentum, I think, to go on and win the cup that year. Um, mm. So just a really lovely memory. And I just, I, I always really liked Lucas Podolski as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the year we beat Tottenham the round before, wasn't it? We got Liverpool, then Tottenham. Sorry, yes. the other way around. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Tottenham then Liverpool, but it was uh, obviously that cup run. I think it was when we played all all of our ties. We played in London, didn't we? Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we had a tough run. Obviously, Tottenham at home is a tough game. Liverpool at home is a tough game. Um, so it's not like we played like lower league opponents all the way to the final. It was a a difficult cup run, but uh, ultimately it ended uh, in triumph. Yeah. No, I I. I uh... When you mentioned that goal, I, I immediately remembered the nerves of that one because we had a get. You're right, we had a team that was like, ooh. <laughs> it's almost, you know, if you correlate it back round to the game we just played against Liverpool, it felt like that. I would have been so surprised if we won on Saturday. Yeah, uh, and I think you know, just around it, it was the performance, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. Um, and in that FA Cup game, we saw a great performance unexpectedly where people raised the level. Um, and we just need more of that now for 10 more games. You believe it's nearly over the season, seven weeks to go or something. It's, uh, it's mad, isn't it? What a slog. What a, what slog, a slog. And we're still sat in 10th. <laughs> <laughs> which, it, which it feels like we've been sat there for uh, about 15 years now. Um, it's just never ending. <laughs> I know. And even the results yesterday, you know, what's so funny is we lose. Okay, fine. Lose to Liverpool at home, this Liverpool side. Fair enough. And I looked at the table, especially after Willock's equaliser and Chelsea lost. And I was like, oh, if we win, we stay exactly where we are. <laughs> you know, it's just... Oh my! Okay, no, we'd be ninth ahead of the mighty Aston Villa, but yeah, don't know what to say. And I don't see where the run comes from, but you never know. Next three games are, are so big for us, particularly the the Europas. I'm just uh, I'm, I'm holding out for that Thursday special well, special performance. Yeah, it's it's absolutely massive for us. So. Yeah, fingers crossed we can uh, put in a, a better performance on Thursday, which I'm sure we will. I can't imagine us playing that badly again. Um, and obviously the, the calibre of opponent is not going to be as high as it was against Liverpool. Um, still going to be a difficult game, don't get me wrong, because um, mm. obviously Slavia have knocked out Rangers, they've knocked out Leicester, so they've got some form of knocking, knocking out British teams. Um, but fingers crossed we can uh, do the business. Um, yeah, Do it for Glenn, lads. Do, do, do it for Glenn. Do it for Glenn, lads. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening, as always. Um, obviously, if you'd like to listen to any of our previous episodes, they're all available on Spotify and iTunes or any other podcast provider. If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by searching for The Boys in Red and White podcast. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. 
Thank you for your time as always, Mr. Grayson. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure as always. And we will be back next week with another podcast. Goodbye.